Welcome to Leading Simple with Rusty George. Our goal is to make following Jesus and leading others a bit more simple. Here's your host, Rusty George. Well, Richmond Wandira, am I pronouncing that right? That's correct. <laughs> All right. Well, tell us a little bit about yourself and, and where you are from. And uh, I know we've got a significant time difference. And so you're getting ready for bed as I'm getting ready for yeah. breakfast. So tell us a little bit about yourself. Hi, everyone. My name is Richmond Wandera. I come from Uganda, a little country in East Africa. I grew up in a small village called Naguru, but I wasn't born in Naguru. Something happened to my family that led us to leave the community that we lived in and to be thrown into one of Uganda's worst slums called Naguru. And for me, that change changed my life. Russ, this is the change that happened. I was only eight years old when I witnessed my father be taken away from us. And by that, I mean he was murdered murdered in the presence of my mom as well. So on the same day, I lost both parents. My father physically, he was gone. But my mother emotionally, psychologically, she was not the same. I mean, my mother was the kind of woman you called when you're having a bad day. She could talk your ear off. She could crack and joke about it, about it, almost everything. But um, after my father passed, she became very subdued, very quiet. And then we couldn't tell as kids whether this was the same woman who cared for us when my father was still alive. But that was just the beginning of the darkness beginning to come into our home. Because not long after that, our landlord said to us we couldn't stay in the house that we stayed any longer because we had no income. That's how come we ended up being kicked out of the house and it was probably the longest road that I have walked because Naguru slum had a reputation. Most kids were not in school. It was very unhygienic. There was hopelessness, drugs, gangs, everything that you could think of. And so I remember carrying the little things that I had and we began to head towards Naguru. And when I arrived in Naguru, I couldn't believe what I saw was going to be our new home, a 12 by 12 single room, a tin roof with holes in it from rusty nails that we're no longer able to hold. And I wondered what would happen to us when it rained. I was soon to find out hmm. because the rains came. I remember one night when it started raining and it was leaking very heavy. We had put little buckets spread through the room to hold all the rain that was dripping through. But then the worst happened. The central iron sheet that was above our house couldn't hold because the storm was very strong and the winds were very, very mighty. And when that central iron sheet was blown off, the amount of water that filled our little house was beyond description. Our house became like one giant bucket. And we couldn't run out of the house, neither could we stay in. So we were in this place and there was this quietness that was in this room that we were in. I, five of my siblings and my mom, my mom was devastated. As a kid, I just did not know what to make of myself, what to make of life. I just knew that 
it couldn't get any worse. And something changed that night. I began to think, well, this is life. And like I said, just when I thought it couldn't get any worse, a few days later, my mother said to us, there's no more money for food. My mother was unemployed. So what began as visits to the street became a lifestyle. And some days on the street, we are okay. Uh, we played some games, we climbed some trees, entered people's gardens, did some crazy things. Uh, but some days we were really, really bad. Uh, I remember one day when I ran after a lorry truck that was bringing bananas from the countryside towards the market that was in the nearby uh, community. I remember jumping on this moving truck as an eight-year-old boy. I remember picking bananas from a moving truck and jumping back off and coming back to my sister, Doreen, who was waiting for me under a tree on the side of the street. And I said to her, Doreen, this is what I've got. And I remember when Doreen got the bananas as we sat down, and she, I could see her smiling as she was eating these bananas. But for me, I couldn't help but just feel overwhelmed and feel lost. Mm -hmm. And then it hit me that poverty has a way it makes kids feel invisible. Not only kids, but I think everybody, once you are poor and you can't access some of the most basic things, you feel, man, does this world that is filled with all this supply, government, individuals, businesses, does anybody see this? Mm. And I remember looking around and people were just walking right on by, everybody minding their own business. Nobody's stopping to wonder, who are these kids? What's your name? Did you have food? And nobody did that. And for the first time, I knew what it meant to feel very invisible. Mm. But it was right in the midst of that desperation when lots of kids were dying uh, in the community because of malaria and cholera and diarrhea and dysentery and many other diseases. Whenever the rain came, and I, I have to say this here, that um, I've met a lot of people who say they love the rain. <laughs> and when, when someone says that to me, I look at them. And I know that we are standing in different places. Because mm. for me, in my community, when the rain came, oh, oh, we didn't know which disease was going to break out. We did not know which roof was going to hold. It was, it was very devastating. The thunder, the lightning, all of that, to me, still brings all these memories back to me. But in the midst of very, very, very deep desperation, my mother began to reach out for help. She knew that somebody has to help her, otherwise we won't make it. So many kids were dying. And so my mom was told, you can go to a church in the community. The church is called Nakawa Baptist Church. They have this compassion project that sponsors kids. Why don't you go and try? If they say no, at least you've tried. So my mother summoned her strength. She was not feeling well at that point. but She walked all the way to the church. And... Uh, she shared our story, but she was very surprised, very surprised at how fast these people came to our home. And we could see them taking our birthday information, our names, and taking pictures. And for the first time, I mean, I could clearly remember standing in front of that camera. Uh, these days, cameras are on phones and all of that. But, but for me, <laughs> to take my picture, it's almost like I see or I'm being seen. It was just wow. uh, beautiful. And so they took my picture. And you know what? Less than four months later, the same man who took my picture, David, 
David returned to our home with the best news ever. I was standing at a distance and David is there talking with my mom. And my mother throws down the broom she was using to sweep. And she just goes off with African dancing with the <laughs> loudest ululation you could possibly imagine. Ah, le, 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 le. Yeah. It was the loudest thing. And I knew that's good news because <laughs> anyone in Africa, anyone in my tribe recognizes that ululation sound. So I run to my mom and my mom looked at me and said, Richmond, you've got a sponsor. My life began to change instantly. Go Let ahead. me ask you about that for just a second because you have, you have four other siblings, is that right? Five. Five other siblings. Did they each get a sponsor or is just one enough for the family or how does that work? Two. Two. Compassion's policies, two. Uh, okay. Because whatever these two kids will take home should be able to sustain the rest of the family. Wow. Okay. All right. Continue and on. So my so- sister, Doreen, my sister, Doreen, uh, got a sponsor as well. Um, Don and Julie Thompson, we can never forget uh, this family because we prayed for them often after we became Christians. And uh, so there I am uh, receiving this news and we were dancing, we were celebrating and I go to this compassion project and um, I'm given my health number, UG129 forward slash 0064. I can never forget that number because I was told, hey, Richmond, anytime you fall sick, Don't worry about running to the church or running to compassion. Just run to the nearest dispensary, nearest hospital. All hospitals around have the list of sponsored children through compassion. They will verify that you are sponsored. They will treat you. And here's the thing. Don't worry about the bill. (laughs) Uh, You you know, in in a community where most families have a story of death from disease, that was the best news ever. I don't know if people in the West can understand that. But um, that, that, think about it as health insurance. It's mm-hmm. the, this idea that you'll be taken care of. And that was just by the beginning. And then I was told, which one you can now go back to school. In a country where most education is private, if you have parents and they pay for your school fees, good on you, lucky you. But if your parents die or something happens, even if you are the most gifted academic, school doors are closed. Mm. And there I was being told, Richmond, you can go back to school. And uh, uh, the joy that I had, and I can clearly remember the pictures and um, what my experience was with this pencil hanging around my neck as it was darting back and forth as I'm running to school. I have this cup in my uh, this empty cup in my hand as I'm running to school because I know at break time there'll be porridge. And uh, my life began to change. I, I, I honestly began becoming happier. And then at the age of 14, um, I began to hear about the gospel for the first time. Mm. And um, at this church, I gave my life to Christ. Mm. I was the first person in my home. And then By the time I was 16, all five of my siblings had made the same decision. And there was such lightness and such hope and such, um, I mean, we could come home with these songs and we could rehearse and we could dance and we could choreograph and create. And it was just fun for my mom to see. And so that when I was 19, my mother invited herself to our church and she made the same decision uh, to follow Christ. And, um, 
Mm-hmm. My mother's story is incredible. The, the short version of it is she ended up forgiving my uncle who took everything from her when my father passed because she was a woman and she had said no to him. And mm-hmm. she, he took that because she, he could. And so my mother ended up forgiving this man. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and just all kinds of weight began to be rolled off our shoulders. Well, many years later, I graduated with my bachelor's degree in accounting. I would go on to do my master's degree in spiritual formation and discipleship. And today, I am now the pastor of the very church that hosted me and received me as a boy walking in hopeless and without faith. But more than that, I help lots of ministries and organizations uh, in their accounting practice just to make sure that um, their books are right, their hearts are right. And integrity is part of their journey. And then a few years later, I went ahead to do a a PhD in philosophy of leadership because there was such a great need for good leadership in my nation. And after that, I founded the Pastors Discipleship Network, which is a ministry that has grown into three different East African countries, South Sudan, Uganda, and Rwanda. Next year, we're entering Kenya as well. And through this ministry, I'm able to serve 6,000 pastors today, uh, 6,000 churches averaging 120 people each, over 750,000 people reached through this effort. And I believe that God saved my life for this purpose. And if this one girl, Heather, who was 15 years old, who sponsored me, hadn't put up a hand that day when I was very desperate and said, look, I will live simply so this young African boy can simply live. If that decision hadn't happened, I wouldn't be here. I don't know what would have become of me, but I'm glad I can now make a contribution to my nation. So the person that sponsored you was a 15-year-old girl named Heather? That's correct. Wow. Do you know much about her story now? Oh, yeah. She's 49 years old now. And um, she's an incredible, incredible woman, incredible woman. She's ended up sponsoring five more children, and she lives in Wales today. (laughs) What caused her to say, I want to sponsor a a child, which you were about the same age, 14, was that right, when this happened for you? No, I was younger. I was um, was 10, around 10. Okay. So what caused her to decide to do this? Well, you know, she, when I asked her that question, all she says, she just knew that was the right thing to do. Like, how could you not? How could you not? Like she, to her, it's, it's a no brainer. Like, like you, you just have to pause and say, look, what, what does it take to change your life of a child who desperately needs a change? It takes $48. Okay. What does $48 mean? And to her as a 15-year-old, she knew she could take a babysitting job and get that done. Mm -hmm. So to her, um, I mean, I I just kind of thank God enough for her parents and for whoever was in her life that gave her that perspective, that looked at the world as as not about her, as she wanted to make a difference. She wanted to, um, to make her contribution. And that if she could change the life of a child, then why not? If she could rewrite another child's story so that it reads better, then why not? 
and to her, um, I mean, her response to me is always this. To me, it was just like, I mean, like, if you can and you don't, what are we to make of that? That's amazing. I mean, just to think about a 15-year-old kid deciding to give up 50 bucks a, a month, which, like you said, she would have to raise through babysitting or something like that. And I think everybody, certainly in the Western Hemisphere, is wondering, how can I make a difference and change the world? Here, this 15-year-old girl gets his babysitting job and sponsors you. And the ripple effect from that is 750,000 people being impacted. I mean, that's, uh, that's quite an investment with just a little bit of money. <laughs> that is incredible. <laughs> So uh, you mentioned Heather, you mentioned uh, the Thompsons, you and your family, you still keep in touch with them? Yes. And that's the beauty of the world today that we live in. Um, all sponsors now can get to um, interact almost in real time uh, with their sponsored kids. They can uh, know at any moment how the kids are doing. And so we thank God for technology. And so that's how I'm able to keep up with Heather, uh, Don and Julie Thompson, keep up with my sister. But then, you know, it became as one big family. So I know Don and Julie Thompson. They, they know me as Doreen's brother, but I, I know them. I know their, I know, I even know their dog. <laughs> like it's crazy. <laughs> <laughs> Have you ever been able to meet these people in person? Yes. Um, because of my work um, equipping the African pastor through Pastors Discipleship Network, uh, I was invited to go to Australia to make a presentation on the state of the church in Africa. Mm. And uh, it was so beautiful that Don and Julie Thompson, who are who Australians, um, were in the same state as I was in. They were in Newcastle. And so... I was very, very delighted uh, to be surprised by Compassion because Compassion Year I was coming to that event. They did not tell me that Don and Julie Thompson were, were going to be at that event. So here I am. I've finished making this presentation. So I come down and I'm uh, very excited about what God is doing and what he had done. And so I go over there to because Compassion was at this event. And um, I, I look around and I can see people lining up in a weird way. And I'm like, what's going on here? And then all of a sudden they, they make way. It's almost like they're drawing our, off of a curtain. And they told me, hey, Richmond, this is Don and Julie Thompson. Oh, my. I couldn't hold it. I couldn't hold it, George. I couldn't hold it. Oh, that was probably the longest hug I've ever given. <laughs> I was just so boring. I was just like, you saved my sister. I, I know what my sister went through before you came in. I remember my sister being on the side of the road, breaking stones for people who wanted to buy broken stones for gravel as the building and people who wanted to take advantage of her, people who did take advantage of her. And all that ended when Don and Julie Thompson came into her life. And so I had a lot to be thankful for. Mm. That is amazing. Well, for all of our listeners right now, uh, I, I want you to give your best shot <laughs> as if what you said isn't enough, but tell them why they should sponsor a child through compassion. In these days of the coronavirus, I have seen so much change happen in our nation. Experts say that the country of Uganda 
is going to take another 15 years to recover mm. to what it was before the coronavirus. And by that, I mean the economy. We've lost over 120,000 businesses. Employment is at its highest. And while there is true death going on, the people that are affected the most by all this are children. Mm. And I, have never, I can never think of a more pressing time in history, not even in the days of me as a kid, than now for kids to be part of a rescue program like Compassion that will ensure that they have food, that will ensure that they have the health care they need. And if you can do that, please do. Heather taught me what it looks like to live simply so that others can simply live. And I'm doing the same with the little income that I have now. I'm sponsoring two compassion children, not because I can afford to, but because I can't think of a better way to live. I can't think of a better way to make a difference than to give a child a chance to reach their full potential. Who knows what they might be? Who knew what I would become today? And so I urge you to think quickly and make the decision because some of these children don't have the luxury of time. Please make the decision and sponsor a child. Wow. I love that, that phrase, to live simply so others can simply live. Richmond, this has been a blessing to me and to our listeners. And I thank, thank you, you for sharing your story. Uh, I'm sure that you tell your story a lot. Um, and I'm sure you don't grow tired of it, but you need to know that for everybody who hears it for the first time, it will never be forgotten. So thank you for what you're doing. Thank you for the 6,000 pastors that you are helping and mm -hmm. for the 750,000 people that impacts. For our listeners, besides sponsoring a child, how can we pray for the pastors that you serve? What's the thing that they need the most that we could be praying for? We as a ministry, Pastors Discipleship Network, exist to bring training to untrained pastors. And within that exists the need to be prayed for. Many of these pastors are preaching error, not because they wake up in the morning and they determine that I'm going to teach what's wrong today, huh. but they're teaching because that's all they, they know. They don't know any better. And so the need for theological training is great. And when truth is taught, people become stronger. People become more hopeful. Mm -hmm. They build their lives on truth. And so please pray that our work of training and equipping pastors will succeed, that will prosper in that purpose. Because once we do, the church will become stronger, bolder, and more effectual in the community. Uh, please do pray for pastors. And then uh, for the other, the usually other prayer requests that I post very frequently, uh, people can come to pdnafrica.org uh, to read more about what I'm doing with the pastors. Okay, that's wonderful. Richmond, God bless you. Thank you so much. Thank you. We will be praying for you and sponsoring with you. So thank you for your time. I appreciate that. Take a moment and subscribe to the podcast so you'll get it delivered every week. And subscribe to the Rusty George YouTube channel for more devotionals, messages, and fun videos. Thank you for listening to Leading Simple.